it's what we're talking about with, it's not just about telling a fancy story about how cool you are, right? It's about telling a, a story and then drawing a lesson out of that, drawing a moral out of that story that really hits your customers or hits your audience in the heart. It really impacts them. You know, I was saying earlier about, you know, you're not trying to impact yourself with business. You're trying to impact your customers. And that's really where the rubber hits the road for me. So, I, you know, and, and it helps you create more impactful content. It helps you create more unique content. And it also helps you create just more content in general, because you can tell any story about anything that you experience in life and you can turn it into a lesson about business, about marketing, about content creation, about leadership, about health and fitness or whatever it is that you teach. I want to cause no problems. I just want to live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you want to talk, let's talk, but around here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Death to Vanilla podcast, where we talk about doing things differently so that your uh, brand stands out so you get noticed instead of get ignored. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of noise out there. People are posting content constantly in all social media platforms and all different kinds of places, tons of blog posts, videos uh, like crazy. And so, you know, how do you end up standing out? And so um, we have a very exciting guest on our show, um, Andrew uh, Ryder. And so we're excited to have him on because he has a, a rather unique approach to what he does. And he also still has some really great ideas on creating content and engaging with people and building audience that I think is a little bit out of the box compared to what we're used to talking about. So uh, thank you, Andrew, for jumping on the show and feel free to introduce yourself to us and talk a little bit about what you do. Yeah, Stephen, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, you know, at the simplest level, what I do is I work with a lot of course creators and coaches to create better content. You know, social media has really changed the way that we interact as human beings, but it hasn't changed what we need to get from those interactions and what we're really longing for in our interpersonal communication. And I think there's a really big opportunity for not just for small businesses, but for, you know, businesses of all, of all sizes and for people in general to really step into a stance of creating a relationship with the people in their audience. Because at the end of the day, you know, all of those numbers in your CRM and, and your conversion rates and all of those things, they're people, right? They're people on the other end of that transaction. And I think too many of us get too focused on creating transactions and miss the relationship. So, you know, that's what I'm focused on. And, uh, you know, I, I really love your idea of death to vanilla because you're right, there's just too much content for, anyone to possibly consume. And we need to think of new and interesting and different and unique ways to engage with people to get their attention and to uh, interact with them to help them without just shouting louder than everyone else. <laughs> so that's a big part of what I try to do. Right. That's awesome, man. Um, that's, uh, that's an interesting way that you've done it. So Take us through a little bit about your journey in really arriving to that conclusion, right? Because I think theoretically, 
uh, we all know that the people we're interacting with are people, but we don't necessarily always treat it that way or give it the care that way that it requires. Um, so what was your journey in really arriving at that conclusion um, or more sh more uh, like uh, that way of doing things um, that you're doing now? Because obviously most people start out with like, oh, let's get as many face uh, Instagram followers or, you know, jump on TikTok and, and do all those things. And, and obviously those work for some people, right? But that's not really your approach. And so what led you to that? You know, I started out, by making pretty much every possible mistake that you could make. And, you know, I don't really think of them as mistakes necessarily, but, but lessons that I've learned and, and it's led me to where I'm at today. But, you know, I started out in the online marketing space, the, the business opportunity type of space where all of the ads you're seeing are sort of spammy. You know, there's a timers all over the place on every landing page and it's, you know, $50,000 worth of bonuses if you sign up today. And, and, you know, all that kind of sensational type of FOMO marketing. And I bought all those things. You know, I downloaded the lead magnets. I spent just tens and tens of thousands of dollars just looking for the next thing that was supposed to be fast and easy. And, and I didn't really have to, I didn't have to invest anything in the business. You know, I could just buy this system and deploy it in a weekend. And then I'd just be making money, you know, 10 grand a month or whatever. And I could go, you know, I could go to re retire in Hawaii or something and sit on the beach and enjoy my Mai Tais. And, you know, I was looking for a business that would impact me, you know, that would create this lifestyle for me. It would create income for me. I wasn't at all concerned about impacting others. You know, I wasn't concerned about helping my customers. I wasn't concerned about making an impact on their lives or, or anything like that. And really, I just ended up buying a bunch of stuff, convincing myself that I was working hard, that I was doing things, but I never really took action on anything. And I got myself into some really bad programs where I ended up just, you know, I, I ended up losing a lot of money getting you know, chewed out and berated by these coaches and just had really, really bad experiences across the board. And at that point, you know, I sort of resolved to myself that there's, there has to be a better way to do this. You know, the, the online business, the online marketing space has really, there, there's a leadership vacuum. There's a lack of ethics. And I wanted to be a voice to the people who are going through that, that, there's another way that there's another option. And, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to develop my approach to content creation sort of by accident. I was, I was sort of recovering from all of those mistakes that I made. And I was helping my wife to start her business. She's a nutritional therapy practitioner. And so she deals with a lot of um, clients with autoimmune issues and things like that. And I was just writing content. I was just creating and, I never really noticed it, but I just had this affinity for stories. Mm. And I, you know, we'd be sitting there on the weekend, we'd be watching Netflix and every five minutes I'd get out my phone and like take a little note and think, oh, you know, this is a really cool way that they've demonstrated this. And it totally relates to, you know, marketing or online business, or, you know, I was just making all these connections and I was making those connections for 
a couple of years before I really stepped into it and started, you know, in, in 2020, I made a resolution for myself at the beginning of the year that I was going to write an article every single day for the entire mm. year. And that was because a lot of the, the marketers and a lot of the people that I really respected were just religiously creating content every single day. And I wanted to, and like I said, I wanted to step into that space. I wanted to share a more ethical way to interact with your customers and honestly, a, a better way. You know, one of my, one of my favorite uh, people is Charlie Munger. He's the, um, he's, uh, I guess he's the vice president or he's one of the head honchos at uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Um, he runs it, you know, with, with Warren Buffett. And so he's a billionaire. He's, he's made a lot of very good investments in his career. And one of the things that he says is that if crooks only knew how much money you can make by being ethical, they'd all change. They'd all change. They'd all do it ethically because the reality is, you know, you think that there's so much pressure in this industry to, do the spammy tactics and to use sensational headlines and, and to do all of this stuff to get attention now. But there's so much more to be gained in building a long-term relationship with your customer and to continue that relationship over time. It's not just about getting a sale today. It's not just about making a transaction, but it's about building a relationship and taking them on that journey for the next, you know, with whatever it is you can help them with today. And then the next thing you can help them with and continuing to support them on that journey, you know, forever, for as long as they need your help. Right. That is, I don't know, that that's fascinating that, um, that reminds me so much of like, uh, the, I guess the guy that always pops in my head when I think about that is, is like Seth Godin. Cause he's got his daily email that he sends out and he's like, not one of those like frantic guys. You know what I mean? Like there's some people that I, I follow obviously. And, um, you know, I guess that's the word I would have to describe them as like frantic in the sense that like, they're just like constantly moving and going and stuff like that. And then, you know, you hear someone like Seth Godin or someone like you, who's kind of like, just like, like hit the brakes, like just make something and make it good. Um, isn't something you hear a whole lot about. Like, obviously people talk about quality, but um, not in the way that you really are describing it. It's actually relaxing. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, like it's, it's like a Zen thing. Um, you know, um, I have to, and this is where as an individual or as a, you know, if for your position in a company, you have to really know, yourself, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. And for me, I've tried to run at a pace that is, you know, just a little bit faster than I'm comfortable at. I've tried to tried the sprints. I've tried the, the hustling and the, the sort of struggling mindset and look at how hard I'm working. And it just doesn't work for me. Hmm. It it's too stressful. And ultimately it's, detracts from the quality of my life and I can't sustain a consistent output. So for me, I need to go a little bit slower. I need to do things a little bit more intentionally and, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, get that quality, like you, like you say, um, you know, really focusing on that more so than, than just trying to um, work, work harder. <laughs> right. So I have a, that, that that brings up a couple questions. So um, 
I'm, um, well, let me start with the first one. So, f- oh, even now, okay, sorry, I had like two questions and I'm thinking it's three questions. Okay, so the first part is, if it's not a pace that you can sustain, why not just hire someone else that could do that pace? Because part B to that question is, why not, um, why not have someone handle like the, because like when you were talking earlier, you're talking about like, um, uh, you know, getting like the spammy headlines or at least like the kind of like the clickbaity type headlines and like all the content that goes on social media and stuff like that too. I guess my question is why not do some of those things and lead them into your emails, right? Like as its own like lead gen, like why not? Uh, just for the sake of argument, um, and if and if you're saying no to that because you don't want to work at that frantic pace, why not hire it out? So I know that's like a little like ambiguous, but like why haven't you taken that approach instead? Yeah, you know that's that's a great question, and um, you know we were talking before the show. I don't I don't use any social media. I don't do any organic marketing on social media, and really, you know, the reason for that is haven't found a way to use it, to use social media without it using me. And that all, you know, factors into the stress and the hustling and the working harder. And just, you know, most of the time when I go on social media, it makes me feel like I'm not good enough. Mm. So I try to avoid going on social media as much as possible. I I just don't get a lot of, of value from being on there. And, and, you know, I will say that idea of, well, why don't I just hire somebody to, to manage all the social media for me? And it's, it's on my list for probably late this year or maybe early next year to do that. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a good point. And, you know, there's a, because my people, and I, I go back and forth on this because my people are on social media and, you know, it's like Dan, Dan Kennedy says, you, you know, you have to go to where the customer is. You can't, you can't expect them to find you. You can't just, you, you can't be avoiding them. And, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've really waffled back and forth on that because I know my customers on social media, but for me to go and get them is, is not going to be sustainable for me to do it personally. And at the end of the day, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm building my business to help people, yeah. but to some extent, you know, I mean, I am the business. Mm-hmm. If I'm not creating the content, if I'm not casting the vision, if I'm not leading my audience, there, there is no business. And so for me to, you know, I have to make sure that I'm doing things in a sustainable way to where I can make a consistent output every single day, you know, not just for the next year, but the next five years or the next 10 years. Yeah. I need to maintain my, my energy, my health, my creativity. And social media is just a huge drag on all of those things. So, you know, it's kind of a, a, sweet, a sweet spot between when do, I, when do I make that leap? When do I hire that person? Um, but it's a, you know, it's a good point and it's something I'm thinking about for, for the um, you know, next year or so. Right. Well, I got to say, I appreciate your, your vulnerability in, sh- in sharing that struggle. I think, um, I think that's a struggle shared by a lot of people. Like at the end of the day, like I've chosen to get on the treadmill of social media, but 
I find like as a person, I'm happier the less I'm on it or, or more happy the less I'm on it. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's a uh, it, that's the kind of relationship. And I don't have really anything against it. It's just that constant like demand on your attention. And it, and it is the FOMO of even if you're not receiving a message or a like, it's still just like, oh, I wonder what's happening right now. Oh, I wonder what's happening right now. And like like you, your body ends up feeding every second of like mental downtime with something and then you end up having nothing to give because you've used it up in just wondering um and uh i i made this joke with uh my team that i think i should just be a full-time walker because every time i like leave my office and leave my phone and just go on a walk all of my most amazing ideas or like revelations or just happiness occur out there while i'm walking around on the sidewalk and it's uh, funny how that works. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm trying something new this year, which is a digital sunset. So okay. every night at about 5.30 or 6, I put my phone away and mm. uh, I, I put it on airplane mode and I don't get it out until the next morning at maybe 9 or 10 a.m. Once I've done all of my, you know, my deep thinking and my creative work for the day. Mm-hmm. I don't, because, you know, I I've heard of, of studies that they've done where even just having your phone sitting on the table where you know, where it is, where you can see it, it is, it's, you know, it's working on your mind. You know, I have this analogy. It's kind of like, cause you like have to say photo. no to it. Yeah, you right. You, you can't yes. you can't say no to it when it's sitting there. So you know, I just put it away, put it in my room, and and you know, you kind of forget about it. There will still be those thoughts like, oh, you know, I wonder what's going on. But my phone's put away. It's on airplane mode, and honestly, it's it's a no. It's far enough away to where I don't just reach for it and check. And it's kind of like I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Yes. But it's kind of like Frodo carrying the the ring, right? And he's got it around his neck. You know, he's not using it but he can hear it calling to him and it's just it's reaching out to him constantly trying to tempt him to put it on right and he he puts it on and he enters this completely different world where the real world is almost invisible to him it's it's foggy it's cloudy and he's in a completely different world where you know maybe you might even say you know big tech is this evil eye that's zooming in on all of his actions and where he's going and what he's doing. Um, you know, so it's, but it, it, the burden of the ring is ultimately, you know, that is too much burden for one person to carry. And I feel the same way about, about the cell phone, you know, it's, um, you have to find ways to be able to use it and use the power that it gives you, use the networking capabilities without succumbing to the constant checking and the constant fragmenting of your focus and the decrease in productivity and happiness. Right. One well, is, as you say, like if you are the business or even if you're just the head of a business, even if you're a manager and you're not doing all of the like nitty gritty work at the end of the day, you like I would I would argue that some of your greatest contribution is your ability to like um, think creatively. And if it's hampering that ability, then you've, you've really ruined it. Like, you know, as a leader, casting vision for your team requires some freaking thought, you know <laughs> what I mean? And, and having that mental headspace 
to be able to think through like, how do I explain it? How do I visualize this? How do I motivate people? Um, anyways, you asked if I was, um, I was in the Lord of the Rings. This, this is literally the one ring here on my finger. Okay. I know my, my, <laughs> my camera's probably not going to focus I on it. Yeah, I can't see it. Oh, so sad. <laughs> That's great. Well, glad I could throw in a, uh, a well, good anyways, Lord of the Rings reference for you. <laughs> it, it's really there. I'm wearing the one ring to rule them all. So I don't know who I'm ruling, but um no that's cool it's a great example yeah yeah you know well and you you know you mentioned leading your team to me leadership is not just about leading a team but it's also about leading yourself Mm. and it's also about leading your audience your customers and i think you know your ability to cast a vision your ability to perform at a high level to sort of embody that um, you know, for a lot of the people that I work with, they're, they're helping people to solve a problem. So for yeah. your ability to get into that space where you have solved that problem and you're in that transformation that they want to see, your ability to, to lead them and to demonstrate that to them is, is crucial for, for your success as a business. Absolutely. Um, so I want to talk about one thing before we jump into your email. Um, why did you end up choosing coaching and course building people as you like your ideal clients? Yeah. So that's, you know, I've always had just a, a love and a passion for coaches and course creators because they're really invested in helping people solve problems. You know, I, I mentioned mm-hmm. how I went through every different biz op that you could, you could imagine, you know, I did a social media marketing agency. I did, uh, you know, Amazon book reselling. I did all of these weird sort of niche things where you, uh, you know, the goal is to basically sell a junk product to somebody that may or may not work, but as long as you get their money, it doesn't matter. And then you move on to the next one. Right. But mm-hmm. I found that, coaches and course creators and and a lot of just info info marketers and people who people who want to teach they really care about the people that they're trying to help because they've Mm. been through it you know they 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 empathize with those people and so you know that's part of it but the other part of it is really, those are the, those are the industries and those are the spaces that I've been exposed to. You know, I was helping my wife start uh, and grow her practice. And most of my experience is in that space with, with Mm. educators. That makes sense. Gotta, you gotta start with your most experienced, most depth of knowledge. (laughs) No, that's cool. I mean, at the end of the day, like a coach is going to have a really hard time uh, pulling the wool over someone's eyes for any length of time that's, you know, bankable, you know, I mean, after two or three sessions, I think you'll, you'll figure out pretty quickly if they can actually <laughs> help you or not, in which case it's a whole lot harder to, to sell $2,000 worth of coaching than it is, you know, a $2,000 conference or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're, uh, if you're faking a bit. So I, I know, I know of a guy who actually changed his name legally in order to um continue to lie to people and rip them off (laughs) wow Um, so you know there i guess there are workarounds (laughs) but yeah you know ideally you would you would deliver a high quality product and really fulfill on those promises that you're making to your audience yeah (laughs) that goes back to that what was the guy's name charles 
It's like how how much extra work and money was that to rip people off when you could have just been good at something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you know, even the people who are ripping people off, I think are are good at selling and marketing, and they're very yes. charismatic. And they, in a lot of a lot of cases, I think they have a lot of the skills that they would need, but they've sort of convinced themselves that this is how it's done. This is the way everyone else is doing it. So this is what I need to do. And, and then it's, it just has this cascading effect where everyone tries to do all of these things because that's what, that's what the industry standard is. That's what, you know, you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tell white lies because it, it's what gets the highest conversion. You know, you're supposed to right. use all of these gimmicks because that's what everyone else is doing. Right. And if everyone else is doing, then it's okay. And, um, you know, it, you can spend all your time and effort trying to do all of these gimmicks, but you just end up building so much complexity and difficulty when you could just invite people to join you. And if, and if they're not a good fit, you know, that's okay. You don't want to get someone to join just to, you know, request a refund or to charge back or, or whatever. And you want to be working with people who really want to be there. And if you build that relationship, if they trust you, if they've been getting your emails or getting your content or interacting with you over, you know, days, weeks, months, years, and you say, Hey, you know, I think that this will really help you. They're going to trust you more than somebody else who says, you know, because they're, they're, if they have the problem that you solve, you know, they're either looking at your stuff or they're looking at your competitor's stuff. Yeah. And if your stuff is good, you have the obligation to sell that to your client to you have the obligation to help them improve their life their lives and if you fail at that you know they're going to go to somebody else they're going to go get ripped off they're going to have another bad experience and then they're going to come come back to you 6 months down the road you got to you know you know you got to build that relationship you got to try to get them to trust you and you got to make it real right no, that, that's, that's, that's good stuff, man. I don't think I have anything to add to that. That's just quality <laughs> stuff right there. Um, okay. So I think that maybe the next logical thing for us to talk about then is, so you, you have no, you know, no social media presence. Um, and so the most obvious lead gen <laughs> outside of maybe running ads, which you would have to have a social media platform for, except for Google, of course, um, you know, would, you know, that's like kind of the most obvious one. So in that case, what are you doing for leads? Um, because like really the leads are for your email, uh, newsletter. Right. And so, and, and for your services too, but, um, so how does that, what, what do you end up using for your leads? Is it, is it the podcast like we're doing now or we're like, how does that end up working for you? So, yeah. So basically the way I run my business is, all through my email list. So the, you know, the only way to really interact with me is through my daily email and newsletter. And mm -hmm. then I have a mobile app where I release video content, some articles, and I release all of my paid programs on there as well. So, you know, all of, it's sort of a closed space. The, the only way to get in is by joining my email newsletter. And that's, right. you know, that's how I build that relationship is just trying to send you something valuable, something, you know, thinking a new way of thinking about 
your problems or an insight that I learned, a story that I found interesting, you know, whatever I come up with for that day, that's going through the email list, right? So then uh, to get to your question, how do you get people on your email list? Cause yeah, it, you know, it doesn't just go out magically and, and attract new leads. Right. <laughs> um, so it's a couple of things. It's like you mentioned, it's podcast interviews. I just, I love having conversations like we're having right here. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really good, it's a really intentional way of communicating with other people in the industry of sharing ideas. And, and it's enough time to, you know, one of the benefits for me as a guest on your show, for example, is that you've spent the time over the days and weeks and months and years to record episodes of this show, to interact and to build a relationship with your audience, right? By inviting me to come on your show, you're signaling to your audience that, you know, hey, Andrew is not going to rip you off. He's not going to sell you something and then you know, hit the road and, and, uh, rip you off or anything, you know, he's, he's probably a good guy and, uh, maybe he has some good things to say. Right. So it, it transfers some of the trust that you've built over to me. Right. And like you say, there's, there's 700,000 hours of YouTube content a day. Right. Or, or there's just an insane amount of content being created that people's attention spans are shorter than ever. And part of Part of hooking someone's attention is, you know, having a good headline or having a good, a good hook, right? But part of it is having that trust and just getting that opportunity to say your piece. And so, being able to to borrow some of that credibility and trust from you, uh, you know, thank you by the way, <laughs> is, um, you know, it gives me the opportunity to to say what I'm all about, say what I believe in, say what you know has worked for me and what hasn't worked for me. And people will listen for longer than if I just was shouting at them, you know, in an email or on social media or, or whatever. Oh, totally. So, so the podcast is, is definitely, um, uh, and, and this comes back to what I was saying earlier, you know, you have to know your strengths for me. Um, I really like having these conversations, but, but really my biggest strength is in my writing. Hmm. And so a lot of the work that I do is written, you know, it's, it's emails. It's not, you know, Facebook lives. Um, I, I tend to ramble <laughs> when I get on video. So, you know, knowing yourself and knowing your strengths yeah. is really, and, and then the other, um, so, you know, on that note, the other, the other lead gen strategy that I really like to use is, um, is writing articles for magazines. Okay. So I contribute a lot to entrepreneur magazine, and then I write kind of one-off posts to, um, send to other, you know, industry magazines. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's a good way to go too, because it, it gives you, you know, it also gives you that added credibility, right? So it's, it's not just about how can I create a piece of content, but how can I create a piece of content that builds a relationship and adds credibility, and then, you know, allows me to continue to grow and, and expand my influence. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, so I haven't done any, uh, I would, I would kind of put that under the PR, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. is, uh, I, I end up having a, a great conversation with a guest on our show. Uh, she's actually local to me, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> every conversation I've had with people has been everywhere else, but here, <laughs> um, 
but uh, she does local PR. And I mean, uh, it's, it's feasible by a human being to do it by themselves, but it is work. Like you have to go on there. I mean, I don't know what your process is, but, and if you've established relationships, that always helps, but, you know, going on there and finding out what questions publishers are wanting answers to and like pitching them your idea and having all these things and writing and preparing for all those and understanding trends so that you can write an article ahead of time, even, uh, and stuff like that is that, I mean, that's just a lot of work, you know what I mean? And I'm much more, I'm like opposite of you. I'm much more comfortable on video than I am writing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's even more so work for me to try to write out something interesting, um, to be able to submit for something like that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you can only one, one human being can only do so much. And so it sounds like you have your hand, hands full without social media. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I sort of treat it like SEO, you know, I'm, I'm mostly trying to write evergreen content, I guess you would, yeah. you would call it, you know, I, I'm not necessarily trying to write timely articles for, yeah. you know, for these magazines, but, but really, you know, the same questions that are getting entered into, to Google are the, the questions that, you know, they're looking for content around, yeah. you, you know, it builds the authority of their site as well. So a lot of that is, um, just sort of, um, you know, based on my own research and the articles that, you know, I'm already looking at for, you know, writing on my site or sending it in an email. But yeah, you know, I, I mean, right now, and again, writing is is definitely my strength. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm really fast at it. So I'm, I'm writing two or three articles, five days a week. And then so, I mean, I'm writing seven emails, six or seven emails a week, and then I'm writing an additional one to two articles per day to, to pitch to, to magazines. Right. So it, you know, it's, it That's is a lot, a lot of, of writing. content, but it's, you know, a lot of people think that like, wow, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know what to write about. I wouldn't have the ideas or, you know, they kind of think like, okay, and, 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 you know, I told you about in 2020, I made a resolution to write one post every single day for the year. Right. And, and I had those same fears, you know, I don't know what to write about. I'm not like a great writer. I don't think I can do this, but, you know, I see all these people doing it and having success with it. And, you know, how do I, how do I get started? Right. And you don't, you don't get started by thinking about, you know, by planning your whole year in advance. You, right. know, you, you get started and you think, what am I going to write about today? And you get one topic and you write that and, and, you know, it's like, it's probably it's mediocre, right? It's not that good. And then you get another topic for tomorrow and you just take it one day at a time. The, and this is one thing that I really work with, um, with my customers a lot is finding ideas because the ideas are, are mm -hmm. there. Most people just aren't seeing them. And so the simplest thing that I recommend is to take five or 10 minutes at the end of your day. I usually like to do it as I'm wrapping up my work day. Um, you know, I kind of organize um, my life. I, I make a list of things that I didn't quite finish up for the day, just so I get everything organized and out of my head. And then I'll spend five or 10 minutes and I'll just think about what happened through the day, you know, was there anything interesting? Did I have an interesting conversation with someone? Did I read something? You know, anything that could be turned into a piece of content. 
And, and, you know, after doing that for, for years, it, it just happens automatically to me now. And I just have a note on my phone. And, you know, like I said, we'll be watching Netflix on Saturday and I'll, you know, pull out my phone and just write, jot down a couple of quick ideas. And, um, you know, I, I don't find, I find that there is more content to create than there's time to create it. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and part of that too is, is in having momentum, you know, the more content <laughs> you create, the, um, the easier it is to create content. And, and the example that I really like here is, is from the Bible. And I know not everyone reads the Bible or, or believes in it, but it's the best example that I could, that I could find for the idea of momentum. And, and it's the story of Jesus feeding you know, it's like 5,000 men plus women and children. It's like 10,000 people. And they only have a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, right? And, and they've got, you know, imagine this, this seminar, right? And, and you're speaking on stage at this seminar and you brought your sack lunch, right? You got a sandwich and you got some like fruit snacks or chips or something. And then, you know, the host says, hey, by the way, you know, you got to feed everybody, lunch didn't make it. So you got to feed everybody. <laughs> and you're probably thinking, and, and, you know, in this, in, in the story, the disciples are like, we don't even have enough food to feed ourselves. Right. You're thinking, I don't have enough content ideas to even get through the end of today. Right. right. How do I do a year's worth of content? How do I feed 10,000 people if I can't even feed myself? And, you know, Jesus says, just start passing it out. Just start going, just start getting some momentum. And, so they do, right? And they keep passing, they keep reaching into the basket, keep passing out more bread, more fish. And when they're done, there's more left over than when they started. And that's, uh, you know, I, I could not describe more perfectly how it is with creating content. The, the more that you just do one at a time, just day after day, just keep passing it out, keep sending that email, keep posting that on social media, you'll find that at the end of the day, there's more ideas in the bag than when you started. Right. No, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, um, it's like you said, you can't, you can't go planning out the whole year and expect that to be building your momentum on a, on a, on a personal note, the, um, I don't remember if it was the feeding of the 5,000 or which one it was. Um, but, um, I forget which one, I forget which one it was where, what is it? Is it Peter sitting with Jesus and Jesus asked him, uh, how are we going to feed all these people? And the text says, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And I think that's like so interesting into like the mind of like who God is. And like, he'll literally ask us to try to solve a problem knowing full well, we can't and already knowing how he plans on doing it just to see our response and that has been like a profound like realization in my life that like um that i don't actually have to come up with the answer to all of it so i i have to bounce the back the question and be like i don't know what are you going to do about it and it's just it's i don't know that's been one of the most impactful verses i've read yeah yeah to echo that sentiment you know i've heard this line <clears throat> that that I've really enjoyed and has inspired me is that God doesn't use you to get projects done. He uses projects to get you done. 
Ooh, that's good. And, you know, it's just kind of flipping that frame and thinking, you know, this challenge, this hurdle, you know, this calling is not about the achievement and the glory and the success, but it's about becoming the type of person that you need to become in order to achieve those things. Right. Well, I think that's so fascinating. I was literally talking to my sister the other day about it because, I mean, I've talked to several people about it, but the last person I talked to was my sister. And it's like, you know, when you make a decision and have dreams like we do, right, where you're doing your own thing, you end up asking yourself questions about your worth, about what you bring to the table, about whether or not you should be heard, things that like someone who like goes to a job, you know, even an, you know, a very uh, demanding job would maybe never ask of themselves because at the end of the day, when you work for someone else, like you don't like you're representing that company and that company's values and that company's stuff. It's not like a reflection of you as a human being. And uh, it makes you ask questions and develop yourself in ways that I don't think you would otherwise because of the dreams that you have, right? Like, you know, I guess we're just a glutton for punishment when it comes to developing ourselves, right? Um, is that we're constantly like beating ourselves. I mean, I don't know. I can only speak for myself. Like you feel like you're almost constantly beating yourself up because you're constantly challenging yourself to get better. Um, and that's not, I mean, maybe really high achievers do that like when they don't have to, but this actual like choice and job makes you do that. It's It's very interesting, but I love that phrase that's an amazing phrase the uh, uh god has projects so he can work on us <laughs> yeah. so they work on us we don't work yeah, on them exactly that's that's fantastic <laughs> yeah um one one uh book i'd recommend to you as far as like transformation goes um i just um the one pastor friend of mine recommended a book called the other half of church um it was really interesting so um, I, I've literally been recommending it to actually everyone, um, uh, cause it actually has some good business thoughts in there too. Mm, okay. Um, and so the, the general consensus is that, um, most, um, like American Christianity is based on the idea of knowledge. And so basically your entire life, you're, you're basically pursuing God with this understanding that if I just knew a little bit more about him or about the Bible, I would actually become a better person, right? That would be part of the transformation process. Um, and we know that's true because people have Bible studies. That's literally what a Bible study is, is to learn more. And their, um, their um, question is, uh, when has learning more about something actually made anyone better? Um, can you really look at your life and say, has learning more about God actually transformed me into being more like him? Um, and, uh, and certainly there is a, a level to that, but what they argue is that transform, like true transformation occurs within safe, loving communities of people. And that, um, that like, you're essentially talking about like positive peer pressure is essentially what you're doing and that people's like natural like psychological desire to fit in like aids in their like drive to improve um and so it ends up becoming like an emotional connecting community thing becoming more like jesus than it is a mental 
game. Um, yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. And, you know, to just piggyback on that idea of when has knowledge, more knowledge ever helped you in any area of life, you know, they've, they've done studies that show that more knowledge increases your confidence, but it actually doesn't increase your like likelihood of getting the right answer. Okay. And, and so it, um, you know, one, I think they've done this in a couple of different studies, but one was, was I think horse racing and they, they took the top experts and they gave them like three pieces of information, whatever information they wanted, they could get three things. So it was maybe like, who's the, the jockey, you know, how much does he weigh? How much does the horse weigh or whatever mm. they, you know, I don't really know anything about horse racing, but they could get whatever information they wanted, three pieces of information. And then they would bet on, uh, you know, make a prediction. They did the same experiment then again, where you were able to get like 20 pieces of information. And they found exactly that, that the, um, the likelihood of, of predicting the winner was the same but they, they also measured, you know, how confident people were, mm. you know, the, you'd say, okay, with three pieces of information, you know, I'm 50% confident that I can pick the winner, but with 20 pieces of information, I'm 90% confident I can pick a winner. Dang. And it was completely wrong. So, you know, they, they increased their confidence without increasing their likelihood of success which is extremely dangerous. <laughs> so that actually makes them more likely to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Because you would because actually be overconfidently picking a decision while being no better at it. That's right. That's interesting. That's fascinating. Hmm. So the, the business part about that book that I thought was really good, just to kind of end cap that book part, yeah. is um, they have this thing called group identity. And essentially what you, it's, it's part of the equation of transformation. And uh, essentially what you do is you, you, you create these phrases like we are people who blank. And so uh, obviously in the context of uh, being a, a transformed Christian, you're, um, you're basically plugging in uh, an attribute of Jesus that you're trying to be more like that. So we're a people who, you know, just as a random example, we are a people who um, don't treat people differently because of what they've done. We love them where they're at, right? And we know that's an accurate thing because when the prostitute was dropped, brought before Jesus, um, he said, you know, I, I don't uh, condemn you, go and sin no more, right? And so we know that it's in the character of Jesus to accept people where they are. Obviously, they challenge them to the next thing, um, but you create the group identity after the character of Jesus. Well, I think from a business standpoint, you can actually help create much. This is just a theory. I haven't tested it myself, but it makes sense that you would be able to actually create a much stronger identity within a tribe of people by having some of those phrases as a leader of that tribe and being able to articulate those in like stories and just say them out loud. And so, you know, if it's like a group of leaders, you know, like, 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 oh man, I forgot where I wrote mine down. I had some ones that I wrote down as I start uh, growing more community of like, we are people who are open to change, right? Um, we are people who are willing to face the ugly truth, right? And something things like that. And the, this group identity, because the thought was, okay, like if the problem with 
like say CMOs, for example, and companies, they're, if their challenge of being relevant is that they're behind on what's happening in the world, then part of the, the identity that they're having a problem with is that they're not always willing, they're not always open to something new. You know, maybe they're stuck with their old ways of doing things. And so they're just not open to new ideas. Well, I want to have a community where people aren't like that, that they're a group of people who identify themselves as people who are willing to look at something new um, and are open to those ideas and being able to shape the dynamic of the group. And, and people will be able to like really like self-select if they want to be a part of something. And in fact, even be more bought in, I feel, um, if they are able to experience some of those group identity statements and be able to be like, yeah, that like that's 100% me or that's at least 100% the person I want to be. Um, and then be able to really like probably make them even more committed uh, earlier in the process. So I thought that was really fascinating just from a business standpoint. And that's in that yeah. book too. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, that reminds <clears throat> me of a line that comes from a Seth Godin book. Uh, this mm. is marketing. And he says, people like us do things like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, that's, it's different words, but it's the same sentiment. Same idea. It hopefully, I mean, it's hopefully it's just the same kind of outcome, which is that you be able to build a stronger community of people who are more yeah. committed. Absolutely. So anyways, well, that's cool. That's fun. Look at us learning things. Oh, by yeah. the way, I wanted to tell you about a cool tool that I literally learned about this morning. I don't know if you ever heard of obsidian. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know okay. of it. I haven't used it. Okay. Yeah. It was made me think because the guy was telling me about it this morning in a, a, a podcast. I did it like 9 a.m. And mm-hmm. um, and he was saying it's like a way to be able to like take notes and then it like is able to like tie things together and kind of create these like unique like connection points for people yeah. like as a relationship building tool. But you've been writing for years. So I'm assuming you probably already have a great system that works for you and keeping track of your stories and stuff like that too. But I it just blew my mind. So I was like, I got to check yeah. that out. And when you were talking about the sheer volume of note taking that you do, I was thinking that might be helpful, but yeah, I use, um, Rome research, which is pretty similar. Um, if what is it called? R O A M Rome. Okay. Research. And, um, yeah, it, it has a lot of the same capabilities as far as mapping your ideas and making connections between different things that you're okay. thinking about. It, it, it's, it's a tool for connecting ideas that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be able to do it in your head. Um, yeah. it's, it's really powerful. Uh, it, it definitely takes a time investment to get things in there and get it built out and get uh, sort of the basic framework, which yeah. I, I would imagine would be true as well for obsidian. But once you get it set up and once you start tracking different topics or different keywords or things that you're interested in. It's very powerful in connecting, you know, oh, this is actually related to these other ideas that, um, you know, through some kind of obscure link or, or, you know, maybe it's a second or third order link between ideas. So yeah, I take a lot of notes in Rome and I, I poured over all the highlights from books that I'm reading, all of the notes I take from videos and all of my learning goes into a database in Rome and then it connects all the ideas for me. That's cool. Now, I think that's so helpful because like I was telling the other guy, his name's uh, Skylar. Um, you know, I, I'm very much like, I love learning, but there's, I take in way more data that, than I could ever like make sense of 
Um, yeah. And so, you know, you read a book, that's, that's a lot of information. And it's like you said, even just watching a TV show, if you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting, and like making a note of that, well, that's cool. But like, what are the chances of you coming back to that later? Or, you know, I mean, for you, probably much higher because you're writing every single day. Um, but for me, like, there's not a chance, like, I'm just going to forget that it's even there. But then if something is able to like, translate that into something interesting for me, um, with virtually the same amount of effort of just simply writing a note, then that's pretty slick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, you might also like, um, you might also look into Zettelkasten. It's a methodology for, um, it's, it's a German word. It's probably spelled close enough to how it sounds. And you, what is it called again? Zettel? Zettelkasten. It's like K-A-S-T-E-N. It is a methodology for note-taking um, that was not just note-taking, but information management that was developed by a, a German professor. And he was able to write something like 70 books and just a crazy amount of output over his career Dang. using three by five note cards. And he had, you know, like a hundred thousand different cards or something. So, um, <clears throat> you know, the tools and the technology that we have today facilitate the connection of ideas in a much simpler and easier way than he had in the, in the past. But, uh, you know, a good book that really goes into that would be how to take smart notes by Sanka Ahrens. That, that would be a good place to start. Uh, and that'll give you a really good understanding of, of the Zettelkasten methodology. And then, you know, if you're looking at tools, Rome Research, Obsidian, they, they're pretty much function the same. You can do it with Notion, which hmm. is another tool that I use. Um, there's, you know, there's tons of different ways to do it, but really it's about finding, you know, finding what is easy for you and also don't try to over-engineer it at the start. Just start with something mm. simple and something that you'll actually use because it's it's way too easy. And once you get into the Zettelkast and the productivity rabbit hole, you'll start to spend way too much time trying to create the coolest looking database yeah. and never use it. You know, you'll over-engineer your systems. So yeah, d just jump right in and start collecting notes and making, making connections, yeah. That's 100% something I would do is uh, make some big, beautiful thing and exhaust myself in making it that I never actually use it. So I've done it I've a been... few too many times. So <laughs> guilty as charged. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, well, awesome. So let's just for the sake of the podcast, let's go ahead and wrap up um, kind of what we're talking about. So I think I love for us to dive back in is um, uh, talking a little bit about what your content actually is in the emails that you send, right? So you've 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 created this community you have these like very specific kinds of people who are part of your uh, email list what are you actually starting to send them so every email is something interesting that i've encountered or something that i've learned or something that i want to teach and it usually comes in the form of a story you know story is such a interesting medium of communication because it's story has existed for longer than the written word right and and they've done studies and they've shown that storytelling 
is, you know, we remember stories intuitively better than we remember facts. You know, memory champions will take a bunch of numbers or take a bunch of facts and create a story mm. around it so they can remember each fact in order. And so we just have this affinity for story. And at the same time, then you have these storytelling experts that, you know, take it to the extreme and they say everything's about the story and you have to be doing all of these fun and crazy and fancy things with your life and be living this amazing dream. So you can tell all these stories about your Ferraris or, you know, your weekend in Vegas or, or whatever, you know, and they take it too far. You see where, where I like to make the distinction is the story is not the most important thing. The most important thing is the moral of the story. So to give you an example of that, you know, I, um, for Christmas, my wife got me a copy of the greatest showman and that's mm. probably my favorite movie. Um, maybe of all time, but certainly right now, uh, every yeah. weekend I'm like, man, we should watch the greatest showman again. So, <laughs> um, because one, you know, I, it's, there's just something cool about watching really talented people perform at their, you know, peak of performance and the acting and the singing is just phenomenal in that. Movie. Oh yes. But on the other side, you know, it's such a great story about entrepreneurship and about success and failure and achievement and, you know, all the things that we've been talking about. And what I, what I really like about that movie that I just realized the last time I was watching it is, is at the beginning of the movie, you know, they sing this song called the greatest show and they're, they're talking about the show and, you know, there's singing and dancing and there's this line that, that goes, everything you ever want is here right in front of you. And, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's sort of this theme of the show that there's all of these exotic, fantastical things and it's putting a smile on people's faces. It's giving them joy and it's, unlike anything they've ever seen before. And so the, the show in that way is just spectacular. But at the end of the film, they sing the song again. And when that line comes up, you know, everything you ever want is here right in front of you. He's sitting, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman's character, P.T. Barnum is sitting in a theater. He's got his arm around his wife and he's watching his kids in the ballet. And, and that just really, you know, that moral of the story mm. that, you know, to go through this journey that he goes through of, you know, he starts a successful business and, but it's not enough. He wants more. He wants to be more successful than his wife's father. So he can, you know, rub it in his face and he can be the greatest and, and just achieve all these things. He wants more, he wants more, he wants more. And he loses it all. It has to start over from scratch. And what he realizes is that, you know, it's his, it's his family that is really what matters. And that, you know, that really resonates with me. Um, because I have some of those same tendencies and I know, you know, I have a tendency to just sprint forward through the brick wall, but I know that, you know, family is, is really what matters to me, but it's also, you know, that's, that's the moral of the greatest showman, but it's also the moral of the alchemist, which is one of the most popular books of all time. Hmm. And so, you know, to tie this back to what we're talking about with, it's not just about telling a fancy story about how cool you are, right? It's about telling a, a story and then drawing a lesson out of that, drawing a moral out of that story that really hits your customers or hits your audience 
in the heart. It really impacts them. You know, I was saying earlier about, you know, you're not trying to impact yourself with business. You're trying to impact your customers. And that's really where the rubber hits the road for me. So, you know, and, and it helps you create more impactful content. It helps you create more unique content. And it also helps you create just more content in general, because you can tell any story about anything that you experience in life and you can turn it into a lesson about business, about marketing, about content creation, about leadership, about health or fitness or whatever it is that you teach. Any story can be turned into a moral for your audience. Dude, it's, we're going to have to cut this piece of the podcast and have it like duplicated at the beginning so people can hear it twice. It is, that is amazing. And like, if anyone who's watching this podcast, like just rewind it and listen to that again, that was incredible for, for a couple reasons. And one is that like, one of the things I hear over and over and over and over again is a lack of emotional connection that is in people's content. And what you talked about right there was exactly that is like, you're taking a story that could have just been a story and it could have just been helpful and it could have just talked about your customer and it could have talked about your product and talked about all those things. But when you talk about that one piece that's missing from uh, uh, most content really is that emotional piece. Uh, that's when it actually really, really connects. And it's like you said, people will remember uh, a story before they remember statistics and, and numbers and stuff like that. And so it's like, I feel like that is such a intentional and, and great move that anyone who's listening, who's making content should consider is like, what is, like you said, what is the moral of the story? What, what can you draw out of it that has meaning? Um, because that's going to actually, it's going to produce that emotional impact and, and actually get people to like really engage with what you're doing. So thank you for, thank you for sharing that. That was really good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, when I, when I figured that out, that was, that was one of those moments where I was like, this is the key. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that's helpful for everyone listening. Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure was helpful for me. I'm going to be uh, <laughs> sitting there thinking about that tonight when I fall asleep. So I'm going to have to figure out how that's going to work. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Not um, super helpful. Well, hey, man, I want to be respectful of your time. We've gone over quite a bit, um, but it's been really good. I've I've thoroughly yeah. enjoyed our conversation, both personally and uh, for the podcast. So, um, yeah. So if you could just uh, wrap things up, um, I'd like you to just dive in a little bit to like what it is you're actually um people are hiring you for because we really haven't like talked about that much um so if you could talk a little bit about that and then um we'll obviously have the link to your website in any sort of descriptions or bios or stuff like that too but um yeah i guess you really can't tell people <laughs> where to find you on social media so uh, just help uh, ha have uh, let people know how they can reach out to you over email yeah so you know like like we talked about i work with coach and course businesses and I help them to create better content in a lot of the ways that we've talked about on this interview on this podcast and the best place to connect with me is going to be at my website andrewbrider.com you can 
jump into my email list and I'll send you a daily uh, email. And there's also access, free access to my mobile app. So you can start to get some additional training and, uh, and, and support for creating better content. So that's the best way to get in touch with me. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was fun. I wanna cause no problems. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk. But right here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant.